Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And uh, I thank you for stories like Jonah that remind us how you are a God who, who works through people that run at times. You're one who uh, is, is one who just works in beautiful ways that challenge us, um, yet call us closer to you. Help us, Lord, today by your spirit um, to not just see your hand and the things that you've done, but to really see all that you are calling us to here in this world as well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by now, you've probably figured out after our long reading today, which Claudia did a beautiful job with, um, it, we are going through the book of Jonah. And uh, as we discussed last week, as we look at the story of Jonah, a prophet from the Old Testament before the time of Jesus, uh, this is more than a story about a guy who got swallowed by a fish and lived in the belly of the fish for for three days. And just so we're all on the same page here, um, the story of Jonah goes like this. Uh, There's this guy named Jonah who is a prophet, which means he's called by God to go and speak on God's behalf. He's called to go to this place called Nineveh, the uh, capital of Assyria. It's not uh, Jonah's best friend's all right, these are the enemy of God's people. And remember some of the stories that we were sharing about the Ninevites last week. Uh, there's some pretty vicious people. So Jonah decides to go the opposite direction. He flees to Tarshish. And in the process of doing that, he has to get on a boat. And as we just learned that the winds and the waves came on this boat, Jonah gets to a spot where he says, the only way that this is going to stop is that you need to throw me off this ship. And so the captain and the other mariners take him and they throw him off the ship. And Jonah sinks deep down into the sea, gets swallowed by a giant fish, is in the belly of a fish for three days. He has this beautiful prayer that we're going to learn about next week. And then he gets spit up and put on shore. He goes to Nineveh after that, and he goes and he preaches this message. Eight words where he talks about justice, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And the kingdom repents The king of Assyria uh, converts, and then we read at the end of the story that Jonah's mad. He's frustrated that God would show compassion and grace to these people. Now, if you were here last week, we really wrestled with this question that I believe is throughout the whole story. It's one that as if uh, the author of Jonah is holding up this mirror and asking this question to us. You remember what the question was? Are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemy? And that's really challenging for us, especially because of the world that we live in today. 
This becomes a challenging question for us to wrestle with, but is themed throughout Jonah and will direct and guide us into our understanding of who our God is and how he acts. Today, I want to focus on specifically this moment where Jonah is in the ship and he uh, has this sleeping moment where all of a sudden God wakes Jonah up with these big questions that I think will wake us up as well as we live. Uh, I have some patterns in my life that happen every single week. I think all of us do. Uh, But one of the patterns that happens every single week is I have to make this drive out to Lyle, Illinois every single Wednesday morning. Uh, This church here, Trinity Galewood, is connected to a larger church in the western suburbs, so I have a standing appointment at either 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. that I've got to travel out to Lyle. If you've got really good eyes, you can see that it takes, according to Google Maps, 33 minutes. Now, when I go, it takes about 45 minutes because of the traffic and the things that are happening. And what I've noticed is that I have these kinds of patterns. Like, I'm typically running a little bit late. Um, I'm making my breakfast, and then I have the breakfast, like, in my car. Uh, I've got my coffee with me, and I always have to have a podcast, like, ready because, hey, I'm going to be in the car for 45 minutes, right? And, and my wife would tell you, if she was here today, she would say, you know, you, you're a really distracted driver um, because I'm, like, focusing on all of these things. That's not the point here today, all right? Uh, but the point is this, is that what I've come to learn is that there's a pattern that is the fastest way to get there. From my house, I take a bunch of back roads to get onto 290, all right? The Eisenhower going west. And then I get in the left lane because I got to get off on 88, and that's like the exit that I got to go. And I know that the left lane, even though it's moving slow at first, will pick up eventually. And then I go over to 355, and I cut over at the very last minute because it'll clear up once I get past Oak Brook. And then I get off on Maple Road and then like cut through the neighborhood and arrive right on time. Anybody have kind of like a pattern like this before? You know, just how you get to work and all this sorts of stuff, right? What I find interesting, though, about this, the reason I'm telling you this story is this. I find that um, there have been moments in times where I've been like in the middle of this pattern, this drive that I've been making for three and a half years now. And all of a sudden, like, I'll be driving and I'm on like 88 and it'll feel like I just like woke up. And I'm like, did I just miss like 290? Have you ever had this happen before? Where you're like doing something like super complex, like driving a vehicle that can cause damage to yourself and to a bunch of other people. And all of a sudden you just wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here. (laughs) Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's like you've said something like, I could make this drive in my sleep, which is not a good idea by any means, but it feels like you're just asleep at the wheel. I think it's interesting that we can have these kinds of moments in our lives. I think it's also interesting of like how we can be on like Instagram and just like scroll through and thumbing through and then like we can look up and 30 minutes later, time has just gone by. We're like, oh my goodness, what just happened? 
Or if you've ever had this happen before, I've noticed this since uh, moving back to Chicago, where um, I'll have somebody with me who's not from Chicago, and, uh, and we'll be driving somewhere, and we'll go to any like major intersection or get off on the interstate, and, uh, and you'll have that person who is like weaving in between the cars, right? And the person who's not from Chicago will be like, either have two responses. They'll be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that this is happening. That's so dangerous for that person or all these things. Or they'll have like this power trip of like, how dare they get in the middle of traffic, right? And you're just sitting there and you're like, it's just Chicago. (laughs) It's just how it is. Uh, These situations... Uh, remind me of, of this word that I want to talk about today. It's, it's apathy. That for us as human beings, we have these moments and times where we kind of are asleep at the wheel. Moments and times where we lack in interest or uh, enthusiasm or concern where we're essentially just going through the motions. We're doing complex things, but it seems like we're really not even awake. I'd be willing to bet if we were honest here today that you could even look at seasons and times of your life that this would describe you, where you just feel like you're just going through. And... And I want us to see today, if I can get one thing through as we look at this point in time in Jonah's life, that, that I want us to understand that God certainly wants to wake us up. And, and he wants us to repent of our spiritual apathy. Those moments and times where we just have that lack of concern or just are going through the motions, that God calls us to go a different direction, a different way. And, and I want to look here at the story of Jonah because we see this moment that Jonah seems to like be stuck in some apathy. Verse 3, you'll notice this, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. This is a really interesting little detail that the writer is giving us, that he is, Jonah is going down to Joppa. He's in Jerusalem, he goes down to Joppa, and he is fleeing to Tarshish. So just so you understand, if you were to see this on a map, this is essentially what's happening. Jonah goes down to this port in Joppa. God has called him to go to Nineveh, 550 miles away, but Jonah's like, I'm going the exact opposite way. In fact, he's going to the place that is the farthest away that he can get from Nineveh. And we read that in that time, that he has to get on a boat, as you can see by this map, to get to Tarshish. And so he gets on a boat, and, and in the process of doing that, the boat has these winds and waves that are coming in on it. So much so that the sailors, the captain, is threatened, thinking that the boat is just going to break. And if you remember, we read that Jonah goes into the center of the ship, these words in verse five, it says, 
that Jonah then uh, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Jonah, in, in the midst of all of these winds and waves and chaos, is sleeping. Again, the author is pointing us to the fact that he is going down, down. And eventually we will see next week that he goes down into the sea as well. It's as if Jonah is in this state of apathy. There's this uh, Scottish minister named Hugh Martin. He said this, of this event, Jonah sleeping in the, uh, on the ship, he says it's the sleep of sorrow. He says, many of us know exactly what this is, the desire to escape reality through sleep. Even for a little while, he was profoundly spent and exhausted, drained by powerful emotions of anger, guilt, anxiety, and grief. We get this moment that that Jonah is (laughs) trying to sleep this thing off. And what's, what's really strange about this whole scenario is, is just the circumstance that has been created here by Jonah. First off, we, we talked about last week that, that Jonah was called by God to go to a place and a space, and he said, nope, I'm not going there. <laughs> not going to make that one happen. And, and now he's fleeing away, and there's danger that he has now put these sailors in as well. Because he's choosing not to follow what God has called him to do. It's interesting because traditionally um, in the church, we talk about these kinds of offenses towards God in two ways. And it's important for us to understand this. One way that we um, commit wrong is like we would say the sins of commission. The, the sins that I commit, that I uh, choose to go the opposite way of what God has instructed. I know the right thing, but I choose the wrong thing. But there's another way that we can go against God, and that is simply by a sin of omission. What that means is that we are choosing to not essentially do the right thing and just be inactive. And what we do. That even that action of omission can cause harm to people and can be difficult, can bring difficulty to others. What's fascinating here in the story is that the writer is uh, telling us that now Jonah has not shown compassion to the Ninevites. And yet also now he's not shown compassion to the sailors that are on the ship as well. Jonah's in this state of apathy, asleep at the wheel. And so the question becomes, what's going to wake him up? Right? Fortunately, the story just doesn't end there. What's going to get Jonah to just realize, oh my goodness, I'm on 88 right now, and I'm driving a car? What's going to wake him up? 
And I find it so beautiful because what we read next is that the sailors are going through this process and they identify that, that Jonah's the reason that these winds and waves are happening. And then we read that the sailors come to him in verse 8 and they have some really important questions. They say this, they say uh, to Jonah, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. They ask these questions, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And, And this seems to be very subtle, but this is so important for us to understand. Because these questions that are asked by the sailors to Jonah are really questions of identity. They're coming to Jonah and they're asking these three things. What's your occupation? Or if you look at the original language, it's what's your mission? What, where do you come from? And what is your country? And who are your people? All questions to identify, essentially, who are you, Jonah? And I think it's beautiful that they ask these three questions because if you were to be asked by some random person, well, who are you? That's really a complicated question. It's really deep as to what makes our identity. I mean, look at it from this perspective. When, uh, when they ask, who are your people? Oftentimes, we as individuals define ourselves by the communities that we come from. You thought about this? We identify ourselves by our families, We identify ourselves by our racial group. We identify ourselves by a group of people that we have felt comfortable with. For some of us, we identify ourselves more with our political party. This is a deep question asking of who are you, Jonah? Or or essentially, where do you come from? That point of identity is what, what... What physical place and space are you most at home? What feels like home to you? Is it out in the country where there's nobody around? Or is it in the the busy city and people everywhere? And lastly, an important question that helps us understand and learn our identity is simply... What's your mission? What's the meaning of life? Why are you here? Everybody has an answer to this question. The question is, why are you here? And so it's important for us to know these questions. How would we answer them? I'm not going to go through all three of them and tell you how to answer them, because that would be really strange. But I want to caution you on a couple of them and how we shouldn't answer them. Give you some kind of boundary markers. One of the boundary markers that I hope you would take into consideration, um, a dangerous way to come to your identity is to get lost in what I would identify as shallow identities. Identities um, that uh, can't hold the weight 
of really the things that exist in this world. One of the things that I think we often look at ancient times, we say uh, things like, um, we say like uh, that, that people are just more complex today, that, um, that this idea of what you worship and, and where you place your identity can be separate things. I mean, in the ancient days, and we actually read this in the book of Jonah, that the people, um, as the winds and waves are coming, that they go and they pray to their gods, right? That they would go to their god of, of uh, the creator of the sea and the winds and stuff like that. And we would be like, how uneducated are those people? They're just not as, you know, smart as I am or something to that effect. But I would be willing to argue that we think this way often, I mean, when it comes to our identity, I think the things that we worship do reveal what's most important to us. I think for some of us, it really is challenging that we want the, <laughs> the struggle of money and thinking that money is going to be the thing that is going to bring me happiness and joy. And so my life is held in balance between when I have more of this and when I don't have enough. Or just even the approval of other people. I know for some of us, we struggle with this understanding of that, like, I'm, I can't fall asleep at night because I'm worried about what somebody thinks about me. Or what's happening and going on. And that becomes really challenging. Because it can become a shallow identity for us. This author, Tim Keller, he he writes this, and it's convicting for me. He says that shallow Christian identities can explain why professing Christians can be racist and greedy materialists, addicted to pleasure, or filled with anxiety and prone to overwork. All this comes because it's not Christ's love, but the world's power, approval, comfort, and control that are the real roots of our self-identity. It's challenging. Are the things that we place our identities in, are they shallow? Found more in the world's approval. Yet also at the same time, I think it can be dangerous. Another marker for us is that we would uh, latch on to, in these questions, excluding identities. Something for us that I want us to be challenged by is is not having identities where we push others away. I think too often in our world, um, we exclude other people because of the things that they hold to, the beliefs that they have. And, and we treat them as less than human beings as a result. And that becomes so dangerous for us to do. That when we make that move and we say, well, you know how they are and how they act, we are missing the heart of who God is. And especially in the story of Jonah, who God has called him to go to. So I want us to stay away from these dangerous places. Yet, also understand 
that how you answer these questions will shape how you see God, how you see yourself, and especially how you see other people. Now, what's fascinating is that Jonah answers these questions. His answer here comes in Jonah 1.9 to these questions that are asked. He says this. He says, I am a Hebrew, uh, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's not afraid to answer these questions of identity. And in fact, I would be willing to argue that it's in this moment when the sailors come to him and he is just sleeping, that when they come and they ask these big questions, he now is just awakened. And he's like, yeah, I am a Hebrew, and I do fear the God who has made all of these things, including the sea and the land. And, and what happens in this moment is really fascinating, because it's as if Jonah then has this awakened moment where he has compassion on the sailors the people who are in danger. And he stops thinking just about himself or not thinking at all, and he wakes up to see the people that he has brought into danger. Which is interesting because there's a side note here. We read that first, Jonah in Jonah 1.12 says this. Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Uh, Jonah in this moment uh, begins to understand that it is because of him that he has put these other people in danger. And, And what's fascinating is that the sailor's first response isn't like, yeah, that sounds like a great plan, let's throw you off. The first response, if you remember, is that they rode harder. They tried to make it back to land. They gathered everybody together and said, one final push here. But it didn't work. And so then Jonah, again, offers himself as a sacrifice out of compassion and love for the people on the ship. And you and I get this, right? You and I understand that real love and compassion for someone else will come at the sacrifice of yourself. I've seen this recently because my daughter, Raylan, is uh, learning how to read. And um, she has gotten a lot better through a lot of hard work But early on, especially in the fall, uh, she would come home and she had assignments that she had to do. And it was simply just really simple books. And so I remember her just sitting on my lap and it would go like this. She'd be like, and I'm sitting there just like, the word is the. Like, this is going to take forever. 
And, and in those moments, I realized that I can't like just try to like tell her it's the, all right? Uh, because the reality is, is that I had to learn that out of love and compassion, this would be a sacrifice of my time for her. And, and when we think of sacrificial love, I don't want you to think about Dave and his daughter, Raylan. This all is pointing to Jesus. That Jonah himself is pointing to Jesus the Christ that we sang so beautifully in that song this morning. The one out of self-giving, sacrificial love. Not because he deserved it or that he earned it but out of love and compassion for you and me. And what's so beautiful is that because of his death and resurrection, that what we believe in this church when we do this simple little act of baptism where we pour water over your head with the water in the word and we announce that you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that that means that you're given a new identity. And that in that very moment, no matter your age, no matter your race, no matter how good you were before or how bad you were before, you're given a new identity. And so one of those questions is certainly that I am a child of God. Out of sacrificial love that has been given to me. Now one quick final story here and uh, a point that I want to get to, an action point for us. Uh, one of the other patterns that, I've, uh, that I have is uh, that I love coffee. And uh, chances are that if you were to come up here at the church uh, normally during the day, you probably won't be able to get in because most of my time is spent over at a Starbucks not far from here. And I meet uh, people up at that Starbucks all the time. Maybe we've met there before. A couple months ago, uh, there was a new manager who started at that Starbucks and just kind of got to know them because I'm there all the time and I always get a grande black coffee, right? That's it. And, uh, and one day I was working at, uh, at the bar, the coffee bar, to be clear, and um, and just got into a conversation with one of the baristas. And uh, she was the new manager, and she came up to me, and, uh, and we were just talking about things and all that sort of stuff. She didn't know anything about me, um, just knew my name and my order. And, uh, and we finished the conversation, and she said, you know, I got one final question for you. I just want to know why you're so happy. And... Um, that doesn't get asked to me ever. <laughs> it's the first time that's ever been asked to me. And I would love to sit here or stand here and tell you that I was like, you know what? Uh, it's because there's this story in the Old Testament about Jonah and how he fleed from God's path and then he like ultimately brought this good news to the people. But I'd be a hypocrite and a liar. I don't even remember how I answered the question, but I said something stupid like, I don't know, because it's really nice outside. I'm glad that some of you are laughing at my 
inability here. I, I, want, I want you to know that, that this isn't easy to do at times, too. And, and I, I need and I have repented of that moment where I had a perfect moment to say, you know what, it's because I know of the love of Jesus. And I know what he's done for me. And no matter the circumstances, even when life really does not go the way I want it to, that I know that there's still good and beauty. But the reality is, is that if you're like me, which I got a feeling you might be, that there are times that we need to turn around. And that what we relate with on Jonah is not the fact that we offer ourselves as a sacrifice more often, but that we're asleep in the boat. Like I was asleep at the coffee bar that day. There was this quote from a a special on Netflix uh, with a guy, Kevin Hart. You've probably heard of him before. The very end, he says these words on the special. He says this, when you are okay with being flawed, it means you can be fixed. Never thought I'd use that quote, but I think there's some truth in it. That when we are okay with understanding that we're flawed and that we mess up and that we flee like Jonah, It's in those very moments that God is working in a very real way. And that he wants to wake us up from our apathy, from being asleep of the directions that God has called us to and we've just chosen not to go to. So this week, our challenge for you with this sheet here in the back is our yellow sheet. This is week two of Jonah. And on the back of this sheet, what we're gonna be asking of you this week is just to repent. And I know that word might have all kinds of baggage, but what it simply means is this, is to admit your fault and where you've gone wrong, where you've chosen the wrong thing or you chose to do nothing What I know is that God wants to hear from us of those very things. Because when we're okay with admitting that, we're actually on the road to being changed. And so today, as this service uh, ends and as you're walking out, I want to invite you to take this yellow sheet and use it as an opportunity to look at yourself. To say, where have I been more like Jonah running away, and I need to wake up to what God is calling me to. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who works in and through us. And I pray, God, that we, uh, in those moments and times where we've gone the wrong way, where we've had primed moments by you and we've just failed to speak. God, that we would be so bold and honest to bring those to you, to trust that you're working continually in and through us, yet also despite us as well. 
So, Father, I thank you again for the story of Jonah, for his life, for the lesson that it teaches, but how it ultimately points us to the greater Jonah, you, Jesus, for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.